Brothers and sisters, we have an amazing opportunity to hear the Word of God taught uh, powerfully. Our general overseer of the IFCA, the International Fellowship of Christian Assemblies, is here. The IFCA has been around since 1907. It was birthed out of the Azusa Street revivals uh, into Chicago and the Italian uh, group of believers in Chicago, and it began to spread like wildfire around this world. And uh, we are privileged to have the general overseer of the IFCA with us today to celebrate our 25 year anniversary. And Brother Mike Player is from South Africa, and he's been here in the States ministering for many, many years, pastor of a church, and he has now been uh, the overseer for, is it 10 years now, Brother? Yeah, amen. Going into the 10th year. 10th year, amen. And so, would you welcome Pastor Mike Player? Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Praise God. <coughs> what a joy to be here this morning and to be able to share with you on such an auspicious moment. I bring you greetings from the executive board of the IFCA, all of them aware of what has been going on up here in Detroit, in Roseville. And uh, we are so proud of what God has accomplished through you as a church to bring you to this milestone for 25 years, effectively reaching out into the community and touching the lives of individuals, dispelling the darkness and bringing the glorious light of the gospel to bear on the circumstances around you. Also the wonderful attainment of renovating your building and having more space, and all the things that you've accomplished I know the kind of financial undertaking that is involved with that. As uh, I built a new church in Boston after I arrived there, I've been there about four years, and what ended up, what we thought was going to cost us around three and a half million, ended costing us 6.8 million. But uh, God, in a wonderful way, was there, and He made provision, and uh, wonderful things are happening as are happening here, and God is moving across the world, by the way in people's lives and in a miraculous way, fulfilling his will and purpose. He said he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we see the strongholds coming down, amen? And right here in Roseville, you are accomplishing the wonderful things that God has called you to do. And so uh, I just wanted to relay that to you and uh, then I want to share the word with you for a few minutes. Now, when I say a few minutes, don't be uh, lulled into uh, a disbelief or thinking that somehow it will be only a few minutes. It can drag on for many minutes, but I try to make it as exciting as I possibly can. And uh, invariably, I'm at the place where I say, oh, if I had a bit more time. Anyway, what a wonderful joy to be able to have the Word of God. And that God has enabled us to hide it in our hearts. Psalm 119 says, what's it, verse 21? Thy word have I hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Somebody asked me, have you memorized all of the text? You've got to be kidding. Uh, I made a, an effort to memorize large chunks of it, but 
there's still so much that needs to be memorized, and I'm not that sharp. But uh, I'm working on it anyway, and uh, I'm hoping that today what I share with you will be a blessing. I will try, I'll have to recap a little bit, uh, just to bring us up to where we were this morning, and then we'll look at the balance of those verses. Uh, excuse me? Yeah, that's what I figured. I, I, I know, I've seen a couple of faces that I saw this morning, so there are a few, but I realize it's a new group. We're in Second Timothy, chapter 1, and in verse 3, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I make mention of you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I might be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God that is in you by the putting on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Think about this now for a minute, because there are many people that are ashamed, and that uh, specifically in that circumstances struggled. So don't be ashamed, but instead be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest through the appearance of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, unto which I have been appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Verse 13, hold fast to the form of sound words which thou hast heard from me, in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwelleth in us. Uh, think about this, what he says, who dwelleth in us. Prior to that, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the unfeigned faith that is in you, is in Timothy specifically. But now he's being inclusive, talking about everybody, and he says, you keep that which has been committed to you by the Holy Spirit which dwells in every one of us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit to help us fulfill His will and purpose in every way. Now, in order to bring us up to where we were this morning, I shared what the epistle um, 
written to Timothy, the second epistle was all about that. It was written at the end of the apostle's life. And basically it's like his final word and his testament that he's handing over. In reality, he's handing over the ministry to Timothy because he realizes that he doesn't have much time left upon this earth. And so now he's wanting to encourage him because he had gone through a very difficult time in Ephesus where he was working and in Asia Minor because he had, he had branched out and was working, they said, in other areas around there. I don't know how much evidence they have for all of that, but anyway, that's what they tell us. Anyway, he was going through a very difficult time and it seemed like there was a timidity in him that didn't want to press forward anymore, that he wasn't having the kind of success that in straightening out the heretics that had risen up in that area, and so he was feeling a little battered and uh, wasn't holding on to doing what he was supposed to do. So Paul doesn't cut him, he doesn't undermine him, but instead encourages him. And he talks about the unfeigned faith that is in him, the genuine, real reality of faith. He tells him that just like he himself, Paul, verse 3, he says, I inherited what I have from my forefathers, and I want to remind you that I celebrate the unfeigned faith that is in you, which you also had a rich heritage of, because it was passed down through your grandmother and through your mother, and the reality is that I'm convinced that it's in you. In fact, he says, I am persuaded that it is in you also. And now he wants us to know that we have a responsibility. Now, I know I'm sort of running through this thing, but I want us to get down the road to verse 8, and we can start looking at it from there. But here's the thing. This I cannot miss, verse 6. It's very important. I put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God that is in you by the putting on of my hands. Now, I realize that somebody's going to say, but what do you mean? If we've got the Holy Spirit, don't we have the Holy Spirit? Yes, you do, but you've got to allow Him to operate. You know what's happening People are seeking respectability today. And even in Pentecostal churches, and what are they doing? Denying the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. They're seeking for financial security rather than for sacrifice. On and on I can go with the dumb things that we are doing and then laying and putting aside the reality of our Pentecostal heritage and the power of the Holy Spirit in work in our lives. And so we have to realize that we have to Stir up. Now that word stir up means that we need to, uh, again, we need to sort of um, flame the flames, if you want to put it that way. We've got to do something to make sure that we do everything we can to make sure that the Holy Spirit is a, a flame of fire inside of us, a consuming fire that is driving us in zeal and giving us the ability to fill, fill His will and purpose. And notice what he said. He didn't say, ask the Holy Spirit to stir up. He didn't say, ask the Father. He didn't ask Jesus. He said, you, the imperative commanders on every believer, to stir up the gift so that God may have precedence within our lives, in our ministries, in our congregations. Now, I want to tell you this. Unless we see that it happens, the Holy Spirit will be quenched in our lives. We will continue to subjugate Him. Now, don't get me wrong. We don't have the power or the ability to subjugate the Holy Spirit. In reality, He does whatever He likes. But He comes to take up residence in our lives because we invite Him. 
And he expects us to submit to him, to allow him to have control, to work through us, to do whatever he wants to do. And when we refuse to submit, when we subject the Holy Spirit to what we're wanting to do and to fit into our agendas, guess what happens? We quench the Spirit, which 1 Thessalonians 5.19 talks about. What we're doing is we are slowly but surely getting to the place where we are in danger of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, even denying that there is a Holy Spirit in our lives. I have met Pentecostals who tell me, I believe it was just indoctrination, and I flowed along with the rest of the people, but it wasn't real. <laughs> rubbish. But people talk that kind of nonsense. I want you to know, God wants us to stir it up, because he wants us to be like a consuming fire. Have you ever really seen a fire? Do you know what? Uh, Luke, Luke chapter 3, and by the way, John and others, what they said when they talked about Jesus coming, they said, one who is greater than I, John the Baptist said, is coming, whose shoes, latchets, I'm not worthy to loose. When he comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And I want you to know, fire has a way of consuming everything around it. And it makes everything become part of it. It cannot resist it. I'll tell you what it consumes and draws and makes it. The fire keeps getting bigger and bigger and hotter and hotter. And the temperature in, uh, content, continually increases. And so it is with the spirit that is at work within our life. He burns out the dross. He sets us alive in zeal. He gives us insight and wisdom in a miraculous way. He works through us. He drives us to fulfill the will and purpose of God. And if we quench him, I want you to know we are in danger. So Paul says, now listen, God has not given us a spirit, the, not a, the spirit of fear. How many times I've heard them quote that? God has not given us a spirit of fear. It is the spirit of fear. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. It is not a spirit that generates fear in us or cowardice, or timidity. Do you know some of the effects of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Number one, boldness and confidence. People who are filled with timidity and fear, when they receive the Holy Spirit, they become bold. They become confident. Another of those effects is the power, and we're going to talk about power right now. Thirdly, there's unity. Suddenly, dudes that were Divided and against each other, suddenly we, kumbaya, kumbaya, you know what I mean? The Holy Spirit, another effect is He works holiness in our lives. Holiness. Oh no, we can't be holy this side of heaven, really. He has called us unto a holy calling because He's a holy God. And he demands a holy life. And he empowers that holy life. Don't get me wrong now. I'm not talking about clothesline preaching. What tie you wear, what jacket you wear, what dress and how big your dress is. Ladies, please, it is important how you dress. Your advantages are to be left 
for the closet at home and not for church. And the men, it's important how you present yourself. And don't come always looking like a slob. But at the same time, you don't have to be coming looking like you're in a, you know, a special dining dress or something to impress anybody. God's not impressed with our outer appearances. He looks at our heart. And he cares about that. He hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but he's given us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. I'll tell you, don't you for a minute accept anything less than that. God promised the power, the dunamis, to be effective for him in every given situation. What did he say in Acts chapter 1 verse 8? I love that text, by the way. That will preach by itself. Remember what happened in verse 6? The disciples were working, walking with Jesus. He was on his way to ascend into heaven. And they asked him the dumbest question of all. Lord, is there time now for you to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus responded and said, It is not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father has placed in his own authority, exousia. It translates power, but the word is authority. God has got that in his authority. But here's verse 8. But ye shall receive power after dunamis power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And ye shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, in Samaria, and unto the furthest parts of the earth. God will empower you to be effective for him. Now notice what God did. In verse 7, he said, You don't have any insight to the times and the seasons because God's placed it under his authority. But don't feel bad because there is power for you. It's a different kind of power, but God's going to give you what you need to be effective. He's going to enable you. He's going to give you a power that cannot be resisted. will give you boldness and confidence. You're going to accomplish his will and purpose. And you're going to go all over and tell people about the power of the risen Christ. You're going to have love shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. Now, by the way, the power of God, the power of the Spirit helps us overcome fear and timidity. By the way, that word translated, it's only used once. I told them this morning in the New Testament. Delias is the word. D-E-I-L-I-A-S. Delias. Only used here and can be translated as cowardice. We don't have the spirit of cowardice. Because in reality, we are soldiers of Jesus Christ. We've been placed in battle formation. We are fighting a spiritual battle to the glory and majesty of God. And I want you to know, he says, you don't have a spirit of cowardice because I've given you power. And that power will help you to be brave, to be bold, to be confident. I've given you love. It is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. And it will dispel fear and cowardice because I want you to know that love conquers a multitude of sins. It overcomes fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. First John 4 and verse 18. You can check it afterwards. But I want you to know it didn't stop there. He's also given us a spirit of a sound mind. I mean, listen... Some of the folks that are floating around in the kingdom, 
You look at them, it looks like they lost their way a long time ago. The elevator doesn't go all the way to the top. But that's not the way that God has called us and directed us and empowered us by His Spirit. He means for us to have a sound, balanced, self-controlled mind and context. Don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. God wants us to have, I like the way Paul put it in Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What does he mean mind? It's not mind. That's not the word that is used there. It's let this attitude be in you. Let this attitude dominate you who didn't hold on to being the big shot in the kingdom of heaven, which he was at the right hand of the Father, but gave it up and took on the form of a servant. I want you to know that God wants us to have sound, balanced, self-control, self-discipline in our lives. All right, now we've gotten to where we were this morning. So now, let's move on to verse 8. Do not be ashamed. That word ashamed. What is it that makes us ashamed? What makes us fear to talk about the reality of the kingdom? What makes us hold back? I'm telling you, the church is full of people. Now, you won't believe this. I don't know if I questioned you what I'd find out. I think Brother Tim is pretty strong in helping you guys to have a context of witnessing and sharing. But in many churches that I have gone, there is over half of that congregation, maybe more, 60, 70, 80%, who have never led a soul to Jesus. Never had a personal encounter with some broken and confused and bruised individual and help them by talking to them about the reality of Christ. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. What is the testimony about a, of our Lord? It's the testimony of His giving His life, of Him laying it all down. Oh, think about what he says in John 15, verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if you do whatever I command you to do. Verse 14, I want you to know the testimony of our Lord and of me, his prisoner. Did you know in those days, and don't get me wrong, you go to prison these days, you got a pretty bad deal yourself, especially if it's a felon, because you battle to get a job when you get out. Nobody wants to trust you and give you an opportunity. Thank God there are ministries that sort of try to uh, balance that out, but it's a very difficult situation. But I want you to know that uh, God has raised up people that help folks in those circumstances. It is true. But when you've got a reputation like that, it's very difficult to overcome. And uh, within the kingdom, the whole idea of uh, being in prison. In that day, if you were in prison, why was Paul in prison? Did he do anything wrong? No. He never broke any law or anything like that. Just because he preached the gospel. Because he believed in God. Because he loved the Lord Jesus. Because he proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And if you were thrown in prison those days, hey, Rome didn't feed you. When you were in that cell, you were dependent on your friends and people who knew you to bring you a piece of bread or to bring you something to eat. If you didn't have clothes, warm clothes, <laughs> they didn't have a heater in your cell or a television for you to watch and to have it and blankets. If there was any blanket that had been there for an age and everybody had puked on it and done everything else, believe me, I, I want you to know, it was a miserable condition to be in. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. I'm not a prisoner of Rome. Rome may have arrested me, but I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ because any time he chooses, he can open that cell and let me out. And if he chooses not to, I will stay here. I'm prepared. Do you know what I found out about my life? This is just a little extra. Oh, the time has gone. That I'm, throw, that I'm throwing out. Fifteen. Ooh, hallelujah. I like it. Think, think about this. I mean, now I've got to get back to where I was. And suddenly I lost my concentration. Uh, yeah, sorry, I was, uh, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord Jesus or of me, his prisoner. Mm. Yes, a prisoner of Rome, but still, oh, the reality, sorry. What I was trying to say, do you know that most of us, if we suddenly got desperately sick and we thought that we were facing death, we'd probably be begging God to live. And I think that spiritually, now don't get me wrong, I don't think that's bad, I'm not putting, trying to put it down on anybody, because the truth is that's probably where I am. I've examined my heart and I found out that I am desperate to stay, but willing to go. But I believe that God wants us to be desperate to go, but willing to stay. Do you know, does that make sense to you? Is there a difference? You see, we hold on to what we know. We hold on to what we think is of value and importance because we know it. But I want you to know, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. How many times have we heard it quoted? Do we really believe and understand it? Look what he says now, Paul says to Timothy. Rather, I want you to become a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. What? What? I became a Christian because I want everything to be smooth and worked out. I want God to be jumped to attention. When I say, Lord, I've got a need, He's got to meet it. What's wrong with us? I want you to know from the very beginning, Jesus said this. He said, listen, blessed are you when people abuse you and revile you and take advantage of you and persecute you. Amen. What did he say? He said, rejoice and be glad, for that's how they treated the prophets who came before you, and they treated him like that. If they hated him, do you think they're going to love you? We Americans are so confused. We think because the government once upon a time had a biblical orientation and believed the word of God that we're still living under that same day. Forget it! 
Our leaders, the majority of them are backslidden. They are secularists. They have nothing to do with the kingdom and with God. And all they care about is themselves and their political position. Now, don't get me wrong. America's not any worse than all the other nations that long time fell by the wayside. But now, instead of us being smart enough to recognize what it's going to take to live, we're following them down the pathway of disaster. Stupid. <coughs> Brother, are you purporting to be smarter than our president? A whole lot smarter. Because I sold out my heart to Jesus and it's got nothing to do with my degrees. I know this. That our confidence must be in the Lord. I tell you, we must be partakers of the affliction of the gospel. And notice what he said. According to the power of God. You can't do it by yourself. I tell you, outside of him, our legs bang together. Our pants need to stand still so we can move around a little bit because we're terrified. But I promise you, when it's the Holy Spirit, when it's the power of God... He helps us according to the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Ooh, I like that. Have you thought about it? Before the world began... Have you ever thought about it? Look at John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, the same was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness overcame it not. Do you know? That John chapter 1 verse 1 is beyond Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Genesis chapter 1 only catches up to John at verse 3. How does Genesis 1 start? In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered upon the waters. And God said, let there be light. And what happened? And he saw that it was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. And the light he called day. And the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. That only catches up to verse 3, where it said, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything that was made. I want you to know we've got a great and glorious and powerful and majestic God. And he is in control of every one of our lives. He has a purpose for your life, and He has a purpose for yours. I see some faces here that look a little downcast. But let me tell you, if you belong to Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to him, he has a purpose for your life. I want you to know afflictions and hardships and sufferings and hard times all have a purpose in our lives. Nothing happens in the child of God's life that doesn't have a purpose. All things work together for the good 
of them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. Notice it didn't say all things that happen are good. It says everything is worked together by God for our benefit, for our good. God sees to it. God has a purpose for your life. And it all falls under his grace and majesty. I tell you, there's no limitation under that grace. Harish, I want you to know how God is mighty to bless and to undertake, to make our lives effective. That's what he wants to do. I want you to know you are in his hands. But I want you to know that all of these things were hidden. We didn't know about it. But then Jesus came, the appearing of our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. And he brought, and listen, when he came, what he did, right? He abolished death. Oh, wait a minute. But people still die. Yeah, but they don't stay dead. The testimony of Jesus, the very life of him. Listen, what is, what is it all about? He was put to death, but on the third day, he rose again from the dead. I want you to know, not only did he conquer death, but he abolished it. 1 Corinthians 15 says, the only enemy that still remains is death. But I want you to know, God has taken care of him in his son. That's why Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. I want you to know he's the guarantee. He is the assurance that death is not going to hold us, brother. One of these days, you and I may have to die, but death will not hold us because those who believe in him, though he die, yet shall he live. Verse 26 of John chapter 11. And then he says, And those who believe in me, even though he live, he shall not die. Do you believe that? Yes. He has abolished death. And he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Ooh, glory to God. I want you to know, don't look at this fat belly. Don't look at this old body. One of these days, God's going to give me a new body. I want you to know that's the promise. Life and immortality. Do you know the word for life? In the Gospel of John, appears 46 times. The Gospel begins in verse 4, In him was life, and it ends in chapter 31. These things are written, that ye may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing that you might have life through his name. Eternal life, he has brought immortality and life. I tell you, to light through the gospel, the good news. Whew. The good news. Now, here it is. Listen, I want you to think of how wonderful this is. That we, in truth, by the life that comes by Jesus Christ, by the reality of the gospel, by the reality of immortality, there is a hope within us that cannot be taken away. I want you to know it is what drives us. It what, it's what makes us what we are. 
I, I, I want you to know that God is at work within us. And you know, uh, let me, oh, I better quickly share verse 12 with you because our time is going away. Notice what he said in verse 12. He says, because of this, I go through or endure afflictions. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I want you to know Paul is persuaded. He knows. He understands. Now, what it is. Oh, I've watched these commentators and they fight over, is it what he has committed to God or is it what God has committed to him? Is it, oh, and all this stuff. Oh, do me a favor. Does it matter? Does it matter whether it's what he's committed to us or what we have committed to him? The fact is that he is able to keep it. I want you to know God is able to substantiate, to keep whatever we've committed unto Him. Our lives, our ministry, what He has committed unto us, the power of the Spirit, the ability that we have, all of that He is able to keep against that day. I am persuaded. Listen, I know. I know whom I have believed. I know the one I've placed my confidence in. I know, without a doubt, listen, I'm not learning. I'm not trying to find out. I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. What is that day? That day. That great day when we appear before him and he evaluates our lives and what we have done and what we have been involved in. I want to tell you, some of you have been shortchanged. Some of you have been passed over. Some of you have not gotten the promotions that you deserved. And somehow you felt that somehow it was unfair. And maybe it was. Life is not fair, by the way. But I want to tell you something. God has taken note of every one of those situations. God's eyes are roaming to and fro throughout the world, seeking out the good and the bad. I want you to know he knows what's going on. And the day will come when every one of us has to give an account of our lives. We stand before him. I said we, not just you, all of us. And when we stand before him, he'll say, I've been holding this for you. I've kept it secure. Here it is. I have preserved you. I have brought you to this place. I like the way Jude says it in verses 24 and 25. He says, unto him that is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, the glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen! And because I want Pastor Tim to invite me back again, I'm going to shut it down. But let me just throw this in. Notice what he said in verse 13. Hold fast. Some of us can't even hold on to our dollars. Never mind hold on to life or hold on to anything. But listen what he says. Hold on now. What is it? Hold on to what? To the form. Now that is an interesting word, that form. It is the word eupotuposis in the Greek. 
I wish I had the time to tell you about it, but I've told you the word now. Go home and check it out. Eupatuposis. It is the word that is in verse 13 of 2 Corinthians 1. Go to your youngs or your whichever commentary you happen to have and have a check. Eupatuposis. What does form mean? I get so mad with some of these translations. I read them. They put example. They put model for the word form. It is not that! Uh-uh. The word is pattern. Now, I want to tell you the difference between a pattern and a model or an example. You don't want my shirt for an example because, or for a, a model because it will be too big for you. You hold up a pat, uh, uh, sorry, uh, a, a model or an example, and you say, well, you see, here is an example of a shirt or a pants or whatever I want you to get. Try to get it. But when I hold up a pattern, it has exact measurements. It has every detail written out on it. Without a pattern, you can't make anything. You can try. You've got an idea how a shirt looks, you know. Sort of cut it out and sew it up. But hey, I'm telling you, unless you're really good as a seamstress, you're going to have a disaster. But if you've got a pattern, a sketch laid out, you can make it perfectly. Now notice what he said. I want you to hold on with every fiber of your being to the form, the form, the pattern of sound a word, sound words that you have heard from me. You know what he's saying, Timothy? You can't make your own pattern. Don't you develop your own patterns. Whatever you've developed yourself that is centered around sound words as a pattern will not stand. There is a form that God delivered the truth in and he gave it to the apostles. Jesus said this. Verse 11, John 15, he said, These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy may be full. Okay, ooh, now I've gone. All right, hold on to that form of sound words that you heard from me. Hold on to it. With what? What did he say? With faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Not in haughtiness. Not like some clothesline preacher. Not like some legalist. This will preach by itself, so let me shut it down. Father, help us. Lord, we are weak. Lord, we are misled, not by our pastors, by our own stupidity. We think we know everything and we know nothing. I said we, Lord, not they. We. I know, Lord, how quickly we can get consumed by what we have learned and all we've done is scratch the surface. We know nothing. 
Lord, my prayer is that you would help us to stir up the gift of God that is within us. Lord, let us operate in the power of the Spirit. Let us operate with the power of the Holy Spirit and the love that is shed abroad in our hearts and the sound mind that comes by self-discipline and self-control. I pray, God, that you will help our lives to be a testimony to your glory and your majesty. Lord, we know whom we've believed. We are convinced, we are persuaded that you are able to keep everything we've committed to you. And now, Lord, help us by the Holy Spirit to hold fast, to hold on to the form of sound words. And let us be motivated by faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. We commit ourselves to you now. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, just for a minute, let me ask you, did you hear the Holy Spirit speak to you? If all you heard was my voice and my ranting and raving, I have cheated you, I've robbed you. I can't change you. But if you heard the Spirit, the still small voice, speak to you this morning, and you felt him prompting you to respond to him, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want you to put up your hand and just say, Preacher, pray for me in closing tonight. I've heard from God all oh, this morning. Sorry, not tonight. Yes, there are many, numerous hands. I know this is not for salvation, so don't be afraid. But sometimes we have allowed the Holy Spirit to lie dormant when we...